0: Welcome to the Misophonia Podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 12. My name is Adil Ahmad and I have Misophonia. This week I'm talking to Paris, a PhD student researching Misophonia at the University of Newcastle in the UK. Paris has been making a name for herself already, having published papers alongside Dr. Kumar Who is very well known for his seminal papers on the brain basis for misophonia here we talk about her work on mimicry mirror neurons also how she got into miso research visual triggers and other senses autism trauma how to break into misophonia research new ideas for public engagement and a lot more a few of my usual announcements Uh, Thank you again for the incredible ongoing support of our Patreon supporters. And thank you especially for new supporter, Chelsea. Thank you so much. And if you feel like contributing, you can read all about the various levels at patreon.com slash misophonia podcast. I have to mention again, of course, our book Sounds Like Misophonia that Dr. Jane Gregory and I wrote uh, is out now in the UK through Bloomsbury Publishers. It will be released in the United States on November 14th and uh, actually pretty soon in Australia as well. This episode is also sponsored by Basil, the personal journaling app that I developed for iOS and Android. Bazel provides AI-powered insights into journal entries and guides you with new writing prompts every day based on those insights. You can explore many different therapy approaches and philosophies. And it's available again for iOS and Android. Check the show notes or go to hellobasil dot com. All right, here's my conversation with Paris. Paris, um, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. So uh, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of where you are and yeah, maybe a little bit of what you do?
1: Yeah. So my name is Paris Arizona Ash. I'm 22 years old. I'm from Newcastle in the UK. If you couldn't tell by the Geordie accent. Um, I have a Bachelor of Science in Clinical Psychology, and I'm due to start my PhD in September, literally next week,
0: mm. at
1: Newcastle University with Dr. Wok Fong and Professor Tim Griffiths.
0: Cool. Okay. Great. Yeah. And so, I mean, some people listening might may be uh, familiar with your with your work, because you've done some research related to misophonia and have some uh, published papers. First of all, um, I think we, we talked about this maybe on um, in in messaging. But do you have misophonia yourself?
1: I don't. I wouldn't say that I have misophonia mm-hmm. myself. Um, you're right. We did talk about it a little bit of a message. Um, but I would say that I'm more aware of the sounds around me because I know about misophonia.
0: Yeah, so obviously, you know you've done done some research into misophonia. I'm, I'm just curious kind of like how you how you found misophonia as a as a path for uh, you know learning and, and research.:
1: So I kind of got into misophonia research because I'd always had an interest in discrete disorders, and kind of I'd always had this urge i would say to give a voice to people that i didn't really feel had a voice Mm -hmm. and then in terms of research i came across mesophonia on the reddit platform Mm -hmm. i'd read a post about someone wanting to become deaf because of mesophonia, and yeah like really hit us like that person's story and I just kind of got into the research from that point onwards. I just couldn't stop reading about it. And I went to like the classical works like Yastaboff and Yastaboff, when they termed it. And right. then I led into working with Sukhbinder Kumar um, through his research and just how interesting I found his perspective
0: yeah fascinating yeah you're right i mean we're we're definitely um that person who wanted to be deaf i mean they probably would have been ridiculed if somebody you know if the average person would have would have heard that but you know we all um at least understand <laughs> where that person is coming from and and you've you mentioned dr kumar obviously reading his work uh as as we all do those of us who've been following along you've gotten a chance to work with him as well right i think uh he was co-author i believe on one of your papers
1: Yes, he was. He was the supervisor author of the paper. Um, I still work with him. Meet with him every week. The IWA group. Um, That's
0: amazing. I mean, the, the, you know, coming from like a busy, a Reddit post, uh, to to being able to work with the kind of top researcher in the field. Uh, this kind of shows obviously your your talent, but also kind of how wide open the space is for, uh, for someone wanting to come up and 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 do research. Um, it's a, a small but growing circle, and um. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. Well, what was that like? Um it kind of I guess he's based in Newcastle or was it some point?
1: Yeah, so when I started speaking to Dr. Kumar Singh, I just call him, so I just refer yeah. to him as that from now on. Um we he was based at Newcastle University, which it kind of comes full circle because now I'm at Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um but then about a month after I'd emailed him, he moved over to Iowa and is now at the University of Iowa um, doing his research there. Um, is he
0: physically here or not? Because Iowa is like just south of me. Uh, I'm in Minnesota. so Yeah,
1: he's physically there.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I need to take a road trip.
1: We've got some studies. <laughs> all, <right. laughs> that's all going on. So <laughs> I'm going
0: to sit in on one of his uh, lectures. <laughs> Maybe bring my microphone. Uh, oh, very cool. Okay. Uh, but yeah, OK, co- coming back to you, coming back to you, this is uh, interesting. Dr. Kumar is um, so, yeah. Do you want to maybe tell us a, a little bit about the paper you worked on? I believe it has something to do with mimicry, which is something that comes up a lot on, on the podcast as a coping method.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, the mimicry paper, we essentially it stemmed from Dr. Kumar's 2021 paper. It did about mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. um very briefly stemmed from that and we thought well kind of where can we go with the research to kind of try and identify and more embed the mirror neuron perspective so we went towards mimicking and mimicry behaviors because he hypothesized that orofacial mimicry was involved mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. mimicking with the mouth not necessarily physically making the sound but just the action of the mouth itself um so that's kind of the motivation behind the paper briefly and do you guys go into some of the findings that were found
0: yeah 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 that'd be great yeah
1: so we surveyed we got around about 800 people responded to our questionnaire and only 670 were used in the actual paper, but we found that mimicry appeared to be highly prevalent in people with mesophonia. unsurprisingly to you, I'm, a, I'm assuming. Um, right. And that with increasing mesophonia severity, in a sense, the likelihood to mimic also increased. So the worse your misophonia was, mm. for want of better words. Um, the more likely you were to use mimicry, and then especially in terms of eaten sounds, which are, as you know, a highly prevalent trigger, um, if you had high aversion to eaten sounds, you were more likely to mimic, specifically.
0: Right, right, and and um, and was the mimicking done kind of um, uh, instinctively, or was it? it, it kind of to kind of like try to I'm, I'm just curious, like how people um, maybe discovered it uh, on or, or felt that it's realized that it, it made them felt better because, you know, when you tell somebody an average person, they might think, oh, you're just making fun of that the other person. I'm just curious um, if if the survey or your work kind of got into like um, where people are actually using it to to really soothe themselves.
1: So this questionnaire that we used, the mimicry questionnaire, yeah. um, it was really more of a set of four questions, mm-hmm. um, well, five questions because you had the the first question was do you mimic yes no, and then you had like four follow up questions which were whether you mimic spontaneously, whether you did it deliberately, and then whether you mimicking was in your control. And whether or not you did it for that relief that you talk about, yeah. um, and there was a high percentage of people that I think it was over sixty percent, approximately off the top of my head, that reported they mimicked to feel that relief from right, distress. Right.
0: Do you know? Do you know if this has been used in any clinical setting to to actually um, to be as you know? a treatment either on its own as part of a treatment?
1: It hasn't been used, to my knowledge, Mm. outside in a clinical setting. And I think that's because we want to finalize the questionnaire a bit more and get a bit more in detail. Because one of the things that we found when we came to the discussion section of the paper was we we couldn't explicitly say that mimicking was being used as a coping mechanism. Right we kind of have frame it around that people have got relief from it therefore you can assume it's a coping mechanism
0: gotcha gotcha did you did it get into um any theories as to why it is doing that uh, obviously you know um uh, i think dr kumar had some um food for thought in his in his paper how it's related to the mirror neurons so that's it's kind of like um bring, i guess bringing in a, like an a, like a balance back to the body where The mirror neurons are then more in sync with your, with the muscles that they're, you know, connected to when you're when you're making the chewing sound. Um, Was there any? um, First of all, what do you think about that kind of uh, idea? And did you have any, um, you know, follow-on thoughts in your paper around why it's working?
1: Yeah, I think we're still very much kept with that perspective of what's happening with the mirror neurons and the involvement, but we also developed upon it and said that mimicry is being used in a sense to dampen the sound. And when people are using it, it makes triggers more predictable. It's Mm -hmm. easier to expect because when you're making, mimicking that action, that other person's trigger, you essentially know what's going to come next because you're more involved with the situation
0: gotcha maybe a little bit of you feel like you have a little bit of control if you yeah. at least expect that something's happening uh interesting
1: um I did think, you, yeah go on i think we're wanting to go more into that pathway as well now with expectance and expecting triggers i think we're doing a bit work on that
0: okay so um yeah you maybe getting into um are there any plans for follow on research from that, uh, starting, you know, next week when you're back in school?
1: <laughs> um, me personally, no, I'm taking a different direction with my PhD, okay. but still, I'm still involved with all the work that happens. Um, yeah. but I'm kind of trying to bring in a new area into our stuff.
0: Okay. So is it is still going to be misophonia related, but a different angle or completely something completely different? are like, oh,
1: definitely still misophonia related. Okay. There's still so much that needs to be yeah, done. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely. Thank. You. Yeah, that's well, that's great. That's great news that you're sticking within the, the the misophonia sphere. Um, actually, um, well, yeah, I'd like to talk more about kind of your plans. Um, I did want to. Just, just going, going back to the, um, this perspective and, and the paper and the mirror neurons, um, you know, there's been some thought about, um, you know, how misophonia is not necessarily like oral facial related or mouth sound related. Were there any um, ideas on how this could be applied to those types of triggers, which are, are, you know, are not sound related, are not, sorry, a, a, they're all sound related, but are not um, chewing or mouth related?
1: Yeah, so we did have a look at this. Um, it's actually something that I added into the paper myself as my own idea. Um, we looked at the trigger sound categories using the MQs trigger categories, which are eaten sounds, nasal sounds, throat sounds. The I'm sure you know them yourself. Or you Oh, yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> Um But we did a PCA. No, not PCA, we did a factor analysis and what that does is it kind of puts those categories into their own factor Mm -hmm. and then we took mimicking and we saw that as its own factor. And what we saw was that mimicry more explicitly related to the social triggers. And when we say social triggers, we meant triggers that had a direct sound producer, like there was someone making that sound. Mm-hmm. So the eaten sounds, the throat sounds, nasal sounds, consonant and vowel sounds all kind of loaded onto that mimicry level. And then the environment triggers like environmental sounds it has explicitly in the MQ and then Repair of tapping, things like that loaded onto this separate level, which didn't relate to that mimicry Mm -hmm. level. So we kind of saw that mimicry essentially, yes, it explains this the social triggers, the ones that have this sound producer, but it might not necessarily be being used for these environmental triggers.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, because there, there was another paper that I think they enhanced the paper, which seemed to critic, criticize the the uh, mirror neuron approach because almost uh, I, I felt like kind of a straw man argument saying that, oh, well, it's not a, uh, um, a grand theory of misophonia when I don't think it was trying to be a grand theory of misophonia. Um, I think, you know, maybe there could be multiple things going on or multiple approaches um the mimicry could could help with uh could could tell part of the story which is related to uh i think like you said social triggers um but there might be something else going on related to environmental triggers or you know different um at least different avenues of research for for those kinds of triggers um is that uh is is my assessment fair or am i just uh trying to cause trouble
1: (laughs) no your assessment is very fair and um we, we kind of saw that that's what um, Kuma and the other authors wanted to do with this paper. We wanted to take mesophonia which had traditionally been looked at as a sound processing disorder, and then obviously we know now that that's not necessarily the case. And we wanted to integrate these newer perspectives and take mesophonia from this more holistic approach of being, well, it's not just the brain it's not just biological it's not just social it's mm-hmm. something more it's got a little bit of everything and that's why we're struggling to identify it is because it quite literally is just everywhere if that makes sense
0: yeah i, I've, I and I, I agree i, I feel i a, i don't know my gut feeling is that in a few years it won't miss maybe we'll have a different name or it won't be just about sounds There's something else going on and obviously we can get into misophonia because that's a the, the visual side of it, it's not just about sounds. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's at least, like I said, at least more more research that needs to happen. But I think uh, there's possible multiple things going on or something that we don't know about. Uh, and But the, but this, these are, you know, the work that you, you and Dr. Kumar are doing are definitely um, amazing at sh- shining a light at uh, potential directions. Do you want to talk, talk a little bit about kind of your... your um, you know, your interests in the immediate future, what are you going to be looking at?
1: So, if I'm talking about my way of where I think mesophonia research, I want to take it. Um, I'll start off with my dissertation project that I did for my undergrad, um, which I love the title of, by the way. It took us forever. I'm sure Dr. Jekyll had mesophonia.
0: Oh, yes, right. The big long <laughs> right. bit after. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um that paper really that, that was something like from my heart that I'd wanted to do from ever finding that Reddit post. Okay. And I do I take it back to the Reddit and that paper that I've done, which hopefully I'll publish a preprint of soon and then publish in a journal for everyone to read. Um, that was a thematic analysis, which essentially qualitatively looks at the words that people are saying about their experiences of misophonia. And I wanted to do it with the Reddit page because I'm sure you've seen, it's one of the largest misophonia support groups that are out there today.
0: Right, right, yep.
1: Um, It's ever growing, and it, it provides the raw lived experience of what it is to go through misophonia. Whereas if I was to interview someone, I don't feel they would quite want to open up the same way that they will on an anonymous platform
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um so what i did with that was i wanted to look at instead of looking at misophonia from a very scientific approach for want of better terms again um from this approach of well we need to find a mechanism we need to do this we need to do that i wanted to take it back to why as researchers we actually do research, which is for the people, for the general public, for people mm-hmm. that are actually going through misophonia, And one thing that I'd always felt was missed out of the misophonia literature was the lived experience, um, which made us always kind of step back and be like, how, how are we missing something so core and integral? To our research, yes, we had case studies, which are very helpful and very important. But I wanted to do something that was large scale, and I could draw patterns between mm-hmm. what was actually happening. So that's what I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah You're right. There's this a, a treasure trove of information, uh, and not enough people are listening. But but you're right. I mean that that Reddit that Reddit group in particular is has been has been taking off. Um, um, there's a couple of Facebook groups as well that are that are major, but Reddit's a little different because it's anonymous. So I think um, you're right. In, in a condition like misophonia, where people feel well, we're, we we kind of grew up feeling shamed and guilted, um, or, or guilty about what we're feeling. Um, that's a, a great place for people to to open up.
1: I think, as well as someone who doesn't have misophonia. Um, it's very hard because I feel like I've got boots to fill if that makes sense. Like I want to do the mesophonia voice justice. Like I want to mm-hmm. be able to represent it as in detail and exact to how people experience it. And right. some some may say like I've had some people like my friends be like, oh well are you not scared in case you don't do it justice or in case they think, well, how would you know what it's like to experience mesophonia?" Do you not think it's a bit hypocritical, things like that? And the way I kind of say it is I want to be able to show people who have misophonia that there are people who don't have their disorder that will understand. And it's a choice for people not understanding like, it's very easy to understand misophonia if you just take the time. And I think that's a good message to kind of send people.
0: That's a great message. Um, yeah, that just makes me the first just frustrates me, frustrates me even more that that people don't um, get don't take the time to um, to, to understand it, um, because small things can help a lot of people in a major way. Um, and in going to your point about, um, you know, not sure if you're doing it justice i mean i don't speaking for the misophones that i know we're very appreciative of anyone who has any kind of empathy towards misophonia so um i think um yeah i don't know i think you have nothing but support there may be some outliers who might be critical or 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 raise an, raise an eyebrow but i i'm sure the 99 99%, 99.9 of people are are very appreciative of the work you're doing right now and, and can't wait to see what you what you do going forward so yeah i want to thank you from the um uh on behalf of the community for the for the work you've been doing
1: oh thank you that really means a lot <laughs>
0: um and so you did mention actually uh you know a couple of friends um that you're that you're talking about you said you obviously you were inspired by a reddit post but do you know anyone or you know in in your real life family friends um co students who have this about you
1: So it's very weird because I usually say that I attract people with musophonia that I always tell myself, Um, because as soon as I kind of opened up to people about what I was kind of thinking of researching and how I kind of wanted to take my dissertation and things like that, I told one of my friends and he turned around and he was like, I have that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, why have you never told me? And he was just like, well, people don't really get or understand. So I just don't really mention it. I just kind of try and cope with it myself. And I was just like, don't do that. I was like, you should have <laughs> told us. Like I worked on the misophonia research so much earlier.
0: Yeah. Wow. OK, OK. Um, yeah, did you, that's, that's interesting. Did you, did you learn anything from him or, or has he kind of like uh, um, uh, obviously, you know, learned from you? How has his misophonia changed? Or your friendship changed.
1: So our friendship kind of changed quite a bit because he he became a lot more open to us about kind of talking about his misophonia, and sometimes it would be like a little pocket of our friendship would be reserved for like ranting time for him, mm-hmm. um, and I worked with him as well at university, so. A lot of times would be working a shift together, and you would be like, Oh, just I, I need to go home already. Like, mm. the, the atmosphere is just so triggering. And I would just be like, Oh, like, I'll do this for you. Like, I'll take over this bit yeah, and back. we'll shop yeah. places. Like, if he was meant to be doing family food runs, I would be like, Oh, no, absolutely not. I'll do that. You do this.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, and I think it, it really helped knowing and it kind of again bring it back to like showing people that people without misophonia can understand what you're going through and kind of take the time to try and help in just them little ways. Um, I think that really helped me say like, oh, I actually can help.
0: And it's the little things. I think um, I mentioned this before. I mean, sometimes just knowing that there is someone supportive, ready to do the little things, um can kind of calm that nervous system down to the point where um even when we are triggered it's we just don't feel as under threat by the world and so um it just has an overall effect i don't know if your friend uh felt a similar thing
1: um yeah definitely and even now like i'll try and do like if he wants to go see a movie like i think it was Soul. Spiraled oh, yeah. from the Book of Saw. I went yeah. to watch that and he didn't want to go watch it because he was he didn't know what kind of sounds would be involved in the movie. Mm-hmm. So oh. I kind of made a mental note as like the movie went on of like kind of what I thought sounds he may not like and then I gave him the list after and yeah, I was yeah. like, Oh, this yeah. this is the kind of sounds that are there, like um the this scene is like a bad scene, maybe like Go to a I like put your ear plugs in. Um, yeah. It's not really integral to the plot. Things like that. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what? what um, you also mentioned you know people are wondering if um, or telling you you know when people think you're being hypocritical. I'm curious. Did you, did you get any? Did you get any criticism about uh, the work you're doing? Um, maybe similar to kind of criticisms we get for having misophonia like oh it's not a big deal why are you wasting your time on that kind of thing have you ever noticed anything like that
1: interestingly it's always been people who don't have misophonia who've criticized us oh
0: of course yeah
1: um it's always been like i've had a few people just make them comments like um it's a bit hypocritical like you don't actually understand what they're going through because you don't have it and i was like well you don't need to understand someone Quite literally, by going through what they go through. Let's,
0: let's uh let's pause and, and let's pause and re, re, uh, restate what you just said. It's people who don't have misophonia are trying to make you feel hypocritical about, or saying that isn't it hypocritical that you don't go through what misophones are feeling when they themselves are pretending, are thinking that they have the authority to tell you what we. What they don't even feel <laughs> yeah i don't know, i don't know if i stated that right but it's like double layers of um hypocrisy and cognitive dissonance and epistemic injustice on on on, on what they just said so it's just <laughs> always blows my mind uh what people who what people were not willing to be empathetic uh will say
1: <laughs> yeah but then i've had like the mass majority i would say of like my friends and my family are so supportive of like mm-hmm. the work i do my dad every day would call instead of calling them discrete disorders we call them fringe disorders mm-hmm, like yeah. um like the show fringe uh, <laughs> um, okay. but yeah like everyone else has been very supportive and i've been i've been happy that i can educate them about what misophonia is too
0: yeah that's great Maybe you want to talk a little bit about the the group that you'll be starting with. Uh, Is it a new group that you're going to be starting with at at Newcastle, a research group? Uh, Maybe what are their interests in misophonia?
1: So the group that I'm working with at Newcastle is led by Professor Tim Griffiths. Um, It's an auditory group in general, so we'll look at a vast array of auditory disorders um like tinnitus, things like that. Um mm-hmm. is in there even though necessarily is it an auditory disorder per se but right, um right. it's it's there and what because I haven't met with them yet, we haven't really discussed kind of where they are feeling mesophonia research to go but I've discussed personally with like my supervisor, Doctor Wok Fong, um, where kind of we want to take my PhD.
0: Gotcha. And uh, was, the, was misophonia started by Dr. Kumar when he was at Newcastle or was it somebody else? I'm just curious kind of how the history of misophonia in Newcastle happened.
1: I'm unsure um, as to who necessarily started it. I know that Dr. Kumar was very much ingrained in it. Um, I think him and Professor Tim Griffiths worked on okay. things together a lot. Um, but I, I kind of want to say that it was those two <laughs> yeah yeah but that's I'm that. unsure and I'll probably get the history off them
0: I, I was just curious yeah and it's not a that's yeah, not, not super important Um, but so so yeah it gets me into me thinking about um. so I mean your work has been about mimicry and Dr Kumar's about mirror neurons Um, has there any, has there been thought about kind of um, why that's the case in some people like where this might be coming from uh, why does it start around you know age 8 to 10 roughly um, any any thoughts on kind of like the, the source of misophonia how they came about whether it was trauma related possibly um, epigenetics uh, um, I don't know any any thoughts on that yet
1: so we've never quite discussed really where it came from. We've had that question, but never really explored it further. Mm -hmm. Um, In my dissertation, um, I'm sure Dr. Jekyll had misophonia. I looked at that. (laughs) I looked at that um, quite a lot. Um, People would just obviously mention it. And a lot of like those core first early memories kind of linked to trauma, um, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was childhood traumas. Um, some of the stories that people would tell that just stick to my mind is um not like in loud footsteps or a pair of tapping or sitting at dinner table because their parents that that's what sounds would be made before shouting would happen things like right. that.
0: So that's int- so I didn't mean to cut you up, but uh, what what came to mind was like sometimes it's not. The misophon who was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, a lot of the times it's a, a parent or somebody in their childhood uh, was the Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, and, and witnessing that, and seeing that is, and for a lot of cases, um, has eventually, um, I don't know, I'm careful to say led to, but it's, um, you know, that, that child grows up to be a person with misophonia in many cases
1: yeah yeah which is why i liked the dr jekyll mr yeah, hyde kind of thing yeah because at, at first glance it's like yes people with musophonia sometimes describe themselves as that but when you take it back to the earliest memories and traumas it has been having that dr jekyll mr hyde presence in your life and that like unexpectedness of what will happen but yet deep down knowing what's going to happen
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm yeah um have you thought about or looked at or have heard of the the term like hsp like a highly sensitive person someone who's just uh i don't want to say overly but extremely attuned to what's happening around them reading the room moods um have you, i don't know have you thought about sensitivities on a, on, a, on a larger scale
1: Um, I haven't looked at HSP. Um, I've kind of referred to hypersensitivities Mm -hmm. and like being hyper aware and things like that. Um, That's kind of where I would say in terms of myself not having misophonia, I would say I've become more hypersensitive and more aware of what's around me for the people around me. Um, But I've never really looked at it in terms of just general, HSP.
0: Right, right. And have you thought about? I, I don't. We. I think we mentioned misophonia earlier, but uh, um, is any? You know, does there any? Um, anyone in your group, or have you thought about uh, the visual side of the triggers and how that might be linked to misophonia?
1: So interestingly, that's where my PhD is going.
0: <laughs> okay, I finally got it out of you.
1: <laughs> finally, dug it out of his. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yes, that's where my PhDs kind of go in that direction. Obviously, Ooh. I can't say too much in case yeah, anyone's yeah. like, "Oh, that's a great idea! I'll right. do it."
0: Yeah, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I know, I know, I know. Right, it, it could be, it could be a bit competitive, but uh, that's, it, that's, yeah, that's interesting. That uh, misfonia um, direction.
1: I think it's definitely a direction because, like, like we're saying, misfonia is not just sound. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many different components to it. And when you look at the literature, mesophonia and have been talked about as having this relationship, but there's no real where that, where that assumption came from, if yeah. that makes sense. Like no one's actually looked at it, it's just been like, oh yeah, they must be related because they're like yep. the opposite of each other. And it's like, well, are they are more ingrained than we think?
0: And there's also, uh, you know, people come on, there's no na- well, there's no names that I know off the top of my head, but there are uh, obviously sensitivities related to touch as well that, you know, that people will have um, sometimes related to sound, sometimes not. But they can feel the same fight or flight trigger uh, when they feel rumblings or I don't know, other, other types of feelings uh, or other types of senses. Um, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm curious, have you, uh, have you heard about, in your know, research, um, similar kind of, obviously, visuals gets tied into misophonia a lot. Have you heard about other senses also being talked about the same way?
1: So I had a discussion when I first started looking at misophonia with one of my lecturers during my undergrad, um, Dr. Amy Pierson. And she researches autism very heavily, mm-hmm. and she's very mm-hmm. renowned in it um gets awards and everything for it Ooh. so um i was talking to her about misophonia because obviously it's been regarded as a symptom of autism and a lot of people on the reddit had talked about being like potentially diagnosed with autism when they know that that's not what it is it's just the mesophonia compo- component component mm-hmm. um so we talked about this relationship with sensitivity and how mesophonia necessarily I'm kind of hypothesizing here. Um, I don't really feel sensitivity is the right word we're using because mm-hmm. um in terms of sound and the sound sensitivity, when you look at it in comparison to autism, it's quite different. It's not necessarily sensitivity, it's something else. Mm um we don't quite know what that something else is unfortunately but i wouldn't say it's a sensitivity per se because if it was a sensitivity then the auditory pathways in the brain and stuff would light up more than what they do
0: uh okay so you, you would define sensitivity as like um um like yeah like like basically like you said like those um the the, neur- the the neuronal firing would be a lot more active but you think it's something what would you think it is That's something more psychological or more deeper in the brain
1: well when when we'll look at like of our research i know tom dozier has done quite a bit on relaxation therapies mm-hmm. and relaxation training and um, absolutely love his work um and he Talks about misophonia and the trigger sound being a byproduct, right. um, and it's actually linked to that anxiety that you feel. Um, so he told a story about his wife um, suddenly waking up and hating the sound of chickens one day. Yeah, and she had this extreme hatred for sound chickens, even though they owned chickens for years. And what it actually was when he brought it back down to it was his wife was um, anxious about the neighbors complaining about the sound. Therefore, she became more hyper aware of the sound uh-huh. and got that anxiety feeling of, oh, my gosh, the neighbors are going to complain. So it was actually that feeling and she was tying it to the sound, which was actually the byproduct. Mm. Which gotcha. is kind of something we follow in our mimicry paper. We say that the sound necessarily isn't the cause of these adverse reactions, the mesophonic distress. It's actually the trigger person, the individual, which is why when we separate into social, pre- bleh, which is why when we separate it into the social producer and the environmental triggers. It makes a lot more sense for mimicry to be there when it's a other person being the cause.
0: Essentially, yeah, the, the, the Tom Dozier chicken story. I mean, it's not it's not unrelated to, you know, having a Dr. Jekyll present in your life early on, you know, the, the misphonia that that whatever the sound trigger you have now, it, it's it wasn't the original problem. It's it a, it a byproduct of something else that happened in Tom's case, the chicken or Tom's wife's case, the chickens, um, maybe in other folks case, um, a volatile parent or something, but something within you, uh, wanted to almost, almost kind of protect you by being over, um, by appearing to be oversensitive to a sound. Is that a fair kind of, um, way to tie those together?
1: Yeah. Very fair.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've had Tom, Tom, Tom on in the past, um, and, and yeah, always very interesting. Kind of a, sometimes a polarizing figure in the community, but, uh, but it's good to have different perspectives. Um,
1: I find it interesting when he talks about misophonia being a disease. Um, I'm not mm. sure if you've ever heard him say that. I
0: don't remember that part, but yeah, do you want to
1: talk um, about that a bit more? I'd attended one of these presentations and he said misophonia is a disease and it's highly contagious and that's something that's always stuck with me
0: yeah so i think the assumption there is that if you if you hear about a trigger you kind of pick it up which doesn't happen to a lot of people but it, it you know you hear about that anecdotally happening like if you read about triggers uh, on social media, I, you know, some people say, oh, now I have that trigger. Is that kind of what you're referring to or what Tom was referring to?
1: Yeah, he was kind of referring to it in that way. And as well, in terms of like his wife picking up that misophonia to the chickens, in a sense. And it, it's always had a thinking about educating people about misophonia and discussing triggers online, um, I talk about a lot in my dissertation, how oftentimes people are sharing their triggers or mm-hmm. what kind of gets them going. And whilst that can be very good and overall, I think it's very positive, there are some people that can then take that and harness that as their own trigger now. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah, that's I think very interesting.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to see if there is research on how much, how much that happens. Um, because yeah, I, I don't know if there are any numbers around that. Because I don't, I know that it's probably not universal, but I, I'd be curious how universal it is if it is.
1: Yeah, I've I've always not kind of I've not kind of liked the perspective of using negative words when talking about misophonia, like calling Mm -hmm. it a disease, things like that. Um, Yeah, I agree. I mean, we know what happened to schizophrenia when we made that sound really bad. So I'm always frightful. And it's why kind of we took away the term sufferers as well. Um, Mm -hmm. In our latest paper, a very minor change, but I think very integral to where our group wants to go. Um, Calling people sufferers just I don't think is very right anymore.
0: Yeah, how would you, what are some words that you use to talk about misophonia and people who have misophonia?
1: Well, I usually try to keep it very neutral and say people with misophonia, individuals Mm -hmm. with misophonia. Um, I think misophonics and misophones is becoming a little bit better. Please correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's one or the other. I happen to use misophones, but I think it was probably a split-second decision (laughs) I made made some years ago. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there is a official term
1: but i think that's why we need people with misophonia integrated in our research though Mm -hmm. like with my phd that's what i want to do a lot i want to integrate it's called patient and public involvement Mm -hmm. um ppi and i want to kind of get people with misophonia to direct research with me
0: yeah is there any mechanism to do that i know you haven't even started you're starting school <laughs> next week. But um, but if, if and when um, you have a way for people to be a part of that, contact you, um, yeah, I'd love to share it for sure.
1: I think I'd like to be doing interviews um, mostly or maybe even just questionnaires and asking a few questions and getting people to write out what they think and feel and then analyzing it like very briefly and being able to be like, oh, okay, so this is where people think we need to go with research. Um, it would very much help for when it's like, oh, well, what would you like to be called in research? Yeah, Like, it's small little things that make people of misophonia feel a little bit more part of the work that's actually being done yeah. about them.
0: Yeah, no, that's um, great. I'm sure people very would be very receptive to that. Um, so your PhD that you're starting, how, how long do you um, seek, see it going, obviously it's going to be multiple years, do you see it as kind of like one dissertation at the end or um, kind of maybe a bunch of offshoots on the way, kind of what is your, have you mapped out in your head how your your PhD career is going to go?
1: So at the moment I'm kind of looking at my PhD as being three years obviously, um, hopefully three years, don't need that extra for you. um <laughs> Because some um, of them
0: go on for like seven years, ten years. So I'm scared. Yeah, I'm curious, kind of like what you were, well, yeah, what you were thinking. Three yeah. years seems nice.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm doing it full time. So a part time mm-hmm. PhD in the UK is six years, ah, okay. um, and then a full time one is three to four years. But I'm hoping I get it done in three because I'm very passionate, very organised, yep. and I don't have the money for a fourth year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. But.
0: Um. And uh, do, do you know what you want to do after after that, uh, continue with research, take like an academic post, um, start a big uh, um, high-flying startup in the misophonia space?
1: I'd like to continue as an academic, um, yeah. as a researcher, but... Um, I'd like to stay at Newcastle as well. I think it's a fabulous uni. Um, the groups there as well obviously, Professor Tim Griffith's auditory group, and then our connections with the Iowa group. I think it would just be like a breeding hub for Mesoponia research, and I think that would be very nice. Um, I think it would push our researchers and kind of because at unis you've got students coming through doing their dissertations to be able to be like, oh, well, do you want to do a project about misophonia? And then they end up falling into that career of doing misophonia. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be very beautiful.
0: Yeah, that that sounds great. Um, So I've had a bunch of people uh, come on, students who are, uh, whether they're going to neuroscience or other um, fields, with the goal of doing misophonia research or working with misophonia in some way. mostly here in the U.S., but I think in the U.K. as well. Do you have any you know, tips do you want to sh- share with students um, about, you know, who are just kind of interested in this funny research somewhere, maybe in high school still um, on kind of, kind of how to pursue this?
1: So I'll kind of take it from the very Geordie perspective of shy bends getting out. Um, <laughs> so the way I started off in this career, you would think like, oh, I must have been Dead smart I had like a budding research, post academic stuff going on already. Um, I didn't. I just kind of read Doctor Sibinda Kumar's paper, mm-hmm. and then I emailed him. I didn't attach a CV or anything. I wrote a very passionate paragraph about why I wanted to research mesophonia and he just so happened to say yes.
0: Yeah, amazing. And
1: that's that's like my best advice can be is just. Put yourself out there. It's going to be scary, but the worst thing someone can say is no. And would you rather have them say no and know that that is the outcome, or not say anything at all and that would being a potential yes?
0: Yep, yeah, does that's 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 great advice. Um, yeah, Dr. Kumar is very important. I I emailed him at one point about something. He got back to me. Uh, right away. Uh, sounds like you're very respect- receptive too. Um, so yeah, I think you'd be a great resource. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyone who's you know a lot of people have read that paper and other papers. Uh, if you're interested in researching misophonia, uh, like we said earlier, it's a there's a huge blank space of um, possible directions. Um, and sounds like there's a great research community forming uh, or continuing to grow, I should say. Um, yeah, so that's that's great advice. Um, I mean, yeah, we're you know we're coming up close close to an hour here at paris Uh um i guess anything else you want to share or say about um misophonia
1: um i would say as well as wanting to be academic and research focused one of the big things i'm working on currently um i just had some conferences about it last week is public engagement so as well as being a researcher and traditionally doing papers and things like that. I'm wanting to do more interactive exhibition pieces to have Mm -hmm. the general public learn about mesophonia. I think as well as wanting to take my research the direction I am, I'd like to start educating the public about research, very lay audience style, like a podcast, things like that, putting kind of papers into normal, Terms, I would say, normal human terms, and not using all the jargon that we usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very important part, especially if we want the world to start being more receptive to misophonia. Um, one of my big bugbears is the Coca-Cola adverts and <laughs> the now overwhelming use of ASMR in advertisements. Right. What on earth is that about? <laughs> yeah. They're obviously doing it to sell a product and make it seem desirable, but if if companies, big companies, corporations knew what Misophonia was, I feel like they might sit back and take a perspective of being like, well, is that really something we should be playing in the cinemas all the time?
0: Yep, yep, yeah. I think you're talking about that. Yeah, like opening a can of soda or pop, yeah. whatever you call it uh, in your country. But uh, yeah, I, I think maybe some people find that Relaxing, uh, you know, I I would probably steer clear of that if I was a sound editor. Um,
1: yeah, ASMR is um, meant to be very relaxing. Actually, right. I do listen to ASMR myself, but more so like mm. people doing soft whispers and things like that. I can't mm-hmm. stand the eating ones, but that's not misophonia related. That's just me related. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but um, I think. That's kind of the way I want to take it though. If we educate the public about these things, could we end up getting, um, I'm thinking like years in the future, here, yeah, but could we end up getting quiet cinema spaces, cinemas that use, like you you can't eat in that part of the cinema. You right. can't, there's not gonna be those coke adverts.
0: Yeah, that would be an interesting place to get. I mean, there are now grocery stores that are having quiet hours for sensory sensitive people um you know turning down the lights turning down the beeping on the cash registers not collecting all the shopping carts you know ro- rolling them down the down the aisles um but yeah it'd be great to have that in uh, theater spaces as well um yeah you, you're right do you have any ideas on like how to um, you know for that public education like how to how to um how to frame misophonia because you know uh the, the short the short um description of it um being a sound sensitivity can kind of like make people just kind of be a little bit dismissive about it but i think you know taking a holistic approach when you do tie it to things like that um you know i mean, potentially childhood issues i mean these are things that i think most people don't understand or wouldn't even imagine is somehow related but uh would hopefully you know you would think that would garner a little bit more empathy um i'm curious if 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 we should be you know talking about those other those kind of other factors maybe of misophonia in as part of our public education
1: so the project i'm working at moment is with newcastle uni and we're running a festival next year Mm -hmm. um hopefully i'll have a stand there i should do um but i'm that one's kind of aimed at families and parents and what I was kind of thinking about was having leaflets for parents to read mainly, um, to educate themselves and kind of go more in depth about what misophonia is. Yeah. Um, and then I want to kind of make something that people can directly interact with. So I've got someone designing a cartoon where's Wally piece, and I'm going to have people find the person eating in the image, the person clicking the pen, um, and kind of Try and get children and parents to find those very quick, and mm. then kind of talk a little bit about misophonia and how that those things are like an instantaneous second for someone with misophonia to recognize. Um, uh,
0: oh, that's interesting. Yeah, have have a scene and have people try to find the trigger,
1: mm-hmm. and, and,
0: right? And then re- see how quickly someone with misophonia.
1: And <laughs> then at it. the yeah. side of it. Um, to integrate, kind of show our lab that public engagement is very important. I'm going to have children and parents play with like paint and draw what they think a misophonia trigger might be, or even if people who are there have misophonia and are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realise Newcastle will research in this, have them draw like their most hated trigger. And then at the end, have this big piece that has been made by the public to kind of show people of musphonia like look at what we've done today as researchers like we've got everyone to recognize musphonia even if just for 20 minutes
0: yeah interesting yeah i love this these kind of uh creative ideas to for um for public advocacy yeah that's really interesting um well yeah we would love to have you maybe back on the show in, in a year to maybe talk about the results of that uh, yeah i'd love to keep in touch just as your uh your three-year PhD is going to maybe maybe check in with you.
1: Oh, definitely. I'll, um, We should do like a yearly update kind of yeah. thing. And then at the end of the three years, be like, oh, so this is what it all amounted to. And day. compare it yeah. to the first one.
0: <laughs> job 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 done. Mission accomplished. Uh, misophonia will be done. We can retire the podcast. That would be great. <laughs> no one's bothered by misophonia. Um, no, like I said, I think there'll be a lot of research and a lot of learnings. And I think a lot of the learnings we won't have to do, uh, will help things other than misophonia. Um, because i think going back to what you said at the beginning it's a much more holistic issue um but yeah paris thanks for coming on the the podcast it was great to finally talk to you thank you thank you again paris and once again good luck with the phd and of course we'd love to hear uh, we'd love to have you on here often if you like this episode don't forget to leave a quick review or just hit the five stars wherever you listen to this podcast you can hit me up by email at helloatmissiforniapodcast.com or go to the website, missiforniapodcast.com. It's even easier to just send a message on Instagram at Podcast. Follow there or on Facebook at Podcast. On Twitter or X its show. Support the show by visiting the Patreon patreon at patreon.com slash The music, as always, is by Moby. And until next week wishing you and quiet.